Thank you, so spontaneous. <laughs> As for people who know God, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. 2020, brand new year. Something I often do is I look at where I am with, in my relationship with God at a given time, and then I look, depends what's going on, definitely a year, sometimes six months, sometimes every month, and I say, where's my relationship at now with God? Because it should be growing, right? As in, I, I want to know him more. I do the same with my marriage as well. It's not just a God thing. And over the years... My relationship with God has, has most definitely changed. I said yes to him when I was 13. And I was sat in a, a, a chair in my lounge. I was about to be 14. It was the 31st of January, 2006. No, 1986, not 2006, as if. <laughs> that would make me about 28 or something. Anyway, um, 1986. And I said yes to God then. I, I saw other people having like some kind of encounter with him and, and I ended up saying, do you know what, if, if you're there and you're real, then I want to know you. That makes sense to me. That's like a logical, that's a logical thing to do, right? I mean, if you, if you have been created and you believe in some way that you've been designed, then it, it, it seems quite foolhardy to me to not want to meet the designer if you've got the chance to meet the designer. And if I have been created, and as this uh, verse says here, um, about running life's marathon with passion and determination, for the path has been already marked out before us. I mean, if I've got a path marked out before me, and God knows the plans he has for me, and their plans to prosper me, not to harm me, etc. Why would I not ask him what those are, and cooperate with those? So... I talked a lot in the first service about how I was very much a head, what I call a head Christian for years. I said yes to God and I continued that relationship with him, holding fast to the fact that I was surrounded by people who were telling me what was right and what was wrong, according to the Bible. I mean, at least it was according to the Bible, not like these days where we just make it up. Uh, well, it feels right to me. I identify as it being right. Okay. Um, and so that's all fine, by the way. You can identify as whatever you want if you weren't designed. If Ford make a car, they deem it to be a car. A car can't say, well, I'm going to be a truck. Because Ford will say, we didn't make you as a truck. 
can't be a truck. But if you get rid of a sense of design, I, you can identify as a sausage if you want. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> anyway. And so what I would do is I spent many years hanging on to the knowledge that I was right. Not all the time, obviously. Every now and then I wasn't. But I, I knew I was right. I knew the truth because the Bible told me what the truth was. And so essentially what I did was my security, my, my head Christianism, if there is such a thing, built around me a, a, a fortress of knowing I was right. And do you know what? You can, you can go through a lot of life like that. I went to Bible college like that. You don't have to engage your heart then. You don't have to be vulnerable in any way. You can just know you're right. So I would describe God as things like Lord, Creator, Mighty, King. Words like this. The thing is, as the years have gone on, I've realised that so much of what I was actually really involved with and involving in in my heart was actually just religion. And by religion, I mean form and structure without the power, without the relationship. I was a Christian. Now, not every Christian is like me, thank God. But Christianity is a religion. And I'm not interested in Christianity. I'm interested in God. I'm interested in Jesus. I want to be and am fascinated with him. I want to follow him wherever he says to go. I don't want to follow a religion. I don't want to follow a set of rules. And it's not because I have rebellion or something. It's because all that leads you to is an empty place. I followed rules and religion for years. I love to know that I'm doing the right thing. I have all my life. I love to know it. I'm very logical. I, I'm, I'm, I can compartmentalize brilliantly. I can see a situation and, and unpack it and make a plan out of it in, in no time. I, I, I'm like an Olympic medalist at it. But while you can, you can respond, you can interact with God in that way, Actually, what you're probably doing and what I was doing was more interacting with knowledge about God. So Moses, Old Testament guy, big guy, good old Moses. And in a book called Deuteronomy in chapter five, it says that Moses got the Israelites, the God's people, the church effectively of the Old Testament. They knew God's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. I don't want to know God's deeds I'm not really interested in God's deeds. I want to know his ways. I want to know him. I do know him. And I want to know more and more and more and more. And I want religion that surrounds my life to be continually unpacked and blown up. Because all it does is leave you empty. There is no power in form. There is only power in that relationship. So over many years, knowing I was right, believing the right things, and therefore I was on the, I was on the good side. I was a goody, not a baddie type thing. What starts to happen over a period of time is you can feel a little bit hollowed out, if I'm honest. 
let's put this like a marriage. Let's go to marriage for a minute. See, I am very fortunate to be married to Nick. I am not really interested in someone giving me a book and says, I've got lots of facts about Nick for you. Have the book and find out about Nick because there's lots of information in here about Nick. You may want that book. I'm married to her. I don't want a book about Nick. I want to know Nick. You're not allowed. I am. I want to know Nick. I don't want a book about her. I don't want to find out about her by reading facts and information. That's not what this book is for. Yet for years, we have used, I have used, you haven't, I'm sure. I'm preaching to myself. For years, I have used this to justify myself. And that's how it can be used. And isn't that awful? The Pharisees did that. And we, as soon as we say the word Pharisees, we boo internally. Boo, we're not like them. Oh my word, we can be like them. You whitewashed tombs, Jesus called them. He said, on the outside, it all looks clean and right and great. And you're doing the right thing all the time. But inside, it's full of dead man's bones. There's just a death on the inside. That's that hollowed out thing I'm talking about. I want to know Nick. I don't want to know her deeds. I want to know her ways. I want to keep being intimately acquainted with her so that we can, we can knit together closer and closer. I want to be fascinated with her, not the stuff of her. Do you understand that for, for those of you that are, are married? Or... That's how I feel about God. I'm not interested in the, re the religion. I'm not interested. Nick and I have said many times, and, and sometimes people take almost offense at it. We're not interested in running a church. How dull is running a church? I mean, people say, what do you do all day? Do you do, do like rotors? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love. I love a rotor. I, I don't care for a rotor. It's not about rotors. It's about bringing people on together to transform the town that God has placed us in. And for me, those people are church. And there'll be some people that come and sit here on a Sunday who, I don't know whether they're church or not. And there are some people who would never come in here on a Sunday who I think, oh yeah, you're a bit like church. Sorry if that upset anybody. So gradually over the years, I've asked God, I've asked God to to. Keep working at helping me to really love him. I don't want to know stuff about him. So where I called him Lord, Creator, King, Mighty, they're words about God, but him being out there. How about calling God beautiful? You can't call God beautiful unless you know him. I can't call Nick beautiful unless I know her. I've got to know Nick to be able to call her beautiful. Sure, she's beautiful on the outside. But the only way I'm going to know that and be able to say to Nick that she is beautiful is because I know who she is. God is Lord. He is mighty. He is creator. He is king. He's also beautiful. He's also patient. He's also so kind hearted. God is also funny. Like really funny at times. God really makes me laugh. 
And I would say it's only probably in the last year to 18 months that I've been able to say that God is beautiful and wonderful and words like that. They're uncomfortable words. They're not really theological words. And what people do, what I used to do, me, not you, what I used to do is from my theological viewpoint, I'd say, well, that all sounds a bit wishy-washy to me. Oh, what, speaking from the heart is wishy-washy. If you can't speak from the heart, then I will start praying for your spouse. Because, boy, they're going to need it. Because we were given our hearts to love and to feel. And sure, I still would choose God every day of the week because of who... For me, it's just the logical thing to do. I can't look at the human body and not believe that it was created or designed in some way. So there's a, there are, the, the, the logic remains. But I want my heart to be set ablaze with knowing him. Like on fire. I want to know him. I want to fall more and more in love with him because he has pursued me and he pursues me and he pursues me. We've spoken here before of what Eugene Peterson's son said at Eugene's uh, funeral when um, the son said, Leaf, his name is, that his, um, his dad let him in on a secret that he only had one sermon. And it was 29 years of pastoral ministry and he had one talk. And he only had one message. And it was in every book that he wrote. It was this one message. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. You cannot disappoint God. He doesn't ever look at you and think, well, you're a letdown. He doesn't ever look at you when you come to him and he says, where have you been? God doesn't work that way. God doesn't think like that about you. So I find this a challenge as we come into 2020. And the challenge, the challenge that is represented is, is to keep pulling away from religion. It's easy, actually, if you really want to pull away from religion, spend time with people who don't go to church. They're brilliant at not being religious. And then you come into church and we're brilliant at being religious. Because if we don't really know him, then we replace knowing him with the security of knowing that we're right because the book says we are. But do we honestly think, do I honestly think in any way that I can believe that what the book says is true, walk into Ashford and expect to see Ashford transformed just simply because I say to everyone, this book's true, you know. And they'll, do, they'll queue up and they'll say, wow, I have been waiting for someone to tell me that the Bible was true and that's it. Thank you. My life is now fixed. They don't care. People don't care. They don't mind what the Christians do on a Sunday morning with their little book. People don't care. What we actually owe this generation and what we actually owe this town is an encounter with God. They don't need our we're rightness shoved up their nostrils because it doesn't change anything for them. 
And then we can say, well, we know we've upset a few people, but Jesus does say, you know, blessed are you when you're persecuted for saying what's right. Yeah. Only sometimes I've done some things that if Jesus were around, I think he would have taken my two shoulders and then kneed me somewhere and said, will you stop it? This is not what I meant. What gives you the right to stand in judgment over that person? Do I stand in judgment over you? So don't you stand in judgment over that person. Why don't you go and live a day in their shoes and then you can comment. And actually, I tell you what, Chris, why don't you only have opinions over those things you've got responsibility for? The rest of it, zip it and focus on what I've asked you to focus on. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Apologies if you were expecting a, like a really cheery message. I personally think this really is cheery, right? But I know I've just got to burst a few balloons on the way, that's all. The point is this. In, in a few years' time, I don't know when exactly, but I think I do, God told me. But anyway, this, doesn't, this is slightly about At one point, I'm going to leave this earth, and, that, and that's, that's my time here done, right? I want to make sure that in the time I have here, that we, I, I help to bring transformation to other people's lives. And the only way I really know to do that is to let them encounter God. I can help them do other things. And sure, we lead a choir and that helps people to sing and singing helps you be fitter. And all those things really matter. But last time I checked, sin, uh, um, singing does nothing to relieve shame. And singing does nothing to relieve self-disgust when you can't even really properly look in a mirror. And actually what we need and what this town needs, as I've said, this generation is crying out for an encounter with God. You go and speak to, into this post-millennial culture and they are not interested in this they will be, but they're not interested in a book. They're interested in a person, yes. You try engaging a 17-year-old in a discussion about religion. We just won't get anywhere. This town does not need Christianity. This town doesn't even need Asher Vineyard. This town needs to know that they have a father who absolutely adores them. And they are worth something because God has decided they're worth something because he created them and he fashioned them and he knows them inside out and back to front. And they need to know that it's not God's plan or his will or his desire that they live in the pain they do, that they live in the poverty of heart, mind, spirit or literal physical poverty that people do live in. It's just not his plan. So what I've been trying to do, I'm telling you now we're going to slightly overrun, but anyway, what, what I've been trying to do is learn how, as a logical, scientifically minded, practical person, how to let those bricks be dismantled around my life and actually let God in. How to actually really let him in to hear, rather than just knowing that he's right and I'm right and all those things. I want to let him into here. 
I want to be desperate for him. I don't want to wake up every morning thinking, well, I'm fine. Everything, everything's absolutely fine. It's what I'm like. I want to wake up saying, oh God, wow, I missed you. I missed you overnight. What adventures today? What are we doing today? Where are we going today? What, who am I going to bump into today? So one of the things I'm trying to do, and I keep trying to do it, and I keep being terrible at it, and I've realized that the reason I'm terrible at it is because of something deep in me, and that is this. I'm trying to be less busy. Something we do in the West, we justify ourselves by our busyness. And certainly for Nick and for me and for some others, if you effectively get paid by a group of people, that group of people like to see you busy. It's not your fault. It's my fault. Because I have let myself be justified by my busyness. I don't want to be justified by my busyness. Bill Gates said recently, busy is the new stupid. Busy is the new stupid. We walk with God. We don't leg it with him. Three miles an hour is walking pace. That's the pace God moves at. And so I'm trying to create space. I'm trying to create a lifestyle around being fascinated with him. I don't want 2020 to be marked by I get to the end of the year and on Wonderlist, I just I don't use anymore, I use something else. But anyway, on Wonderlist, it is like a to-do list. For anyone who's got Wonderlist and thinks in any way like I do, in some ways it's a wonderful tool. And what you can do is, if you want to, there's a picture of an eye and you can click on the eye and it shows you all the tasks you've ticked off. And it makes a wonderful sound when you tick something off as well. I will just say that. Sometimes you actually just turn the volume up and then tick it off and then you can turn it back down again. You just have to hear it. But the point is this. How sad would my year be if the mark of 2020 for me is I get to the 31st of December, I press on the eye and go, <laughs> look at that. Oh. I remember. I remember on that day there, I had to get in touch with Dave. Done that. Excellent. What did I have to do then? Oh, yeah, I had to proofread something. Oh, winning. Wow. Like, wow. That's my year. That's the hallmark of 2020 for me, is I look at everything I've got done. Wow. I don't want that to be the hallmark of my year. We have to get stuff done. Of course we do. We want to get stuff done. We're commissioned to get stuff done. We're mandated. We're given the authority to get stuff done. How about if I measured, measured 2020, not in terms of tasks, but in terms of quality of relationship that I have at the end of the year? That's a different way to measure. Doesn't satisfy the kind of slightly old me, who, who like, as in of years gone by. It's not as neat as Wonderlist. It's not as neat as tick, tick, tick. It's not as, it's, you know, you don't get the ping. But I want next year, by the end of this year, this time next year, I want to be speaking of God in a way that I'm not speaking of him yet. And I take other people with me and I say, wow, honestly, you, you, I would love to introduce you to my father, he's amazing. Where is he? Oh, no. Listen, you don't understand. I've got the most amazing dad. 
Like, he's incredible. And the amazing thing is, I even know what he thinks about you. And this is the challenge that we have ahead. It's so easy if you're like me, and hopefully you're not, but if you're like me, you will justify your existence by what you know and what you get done. But I know this, on my deathbed, I will not be saying, will someone please pull me up Wonderlist and press the picture of the eye? Because I want to see all the jobs I got done throughout my life. We have been called to Ashford, all of us have been called to Ashford to bear fruit, fruit that will last. The fruit is not the pressing of the eye. Our fruit is the people that we will have brought with us to encounter God as we've learned to encounter God. So some of the ways I'm learning very practically, and I know we've overrun terribly, one of some of the practical ways I'm making myself encounter God more. Number one is I'm definitely trying to slow and just create spaces. I'm trying to deliberately be fascinated by him. I'll let you into a secret. I don't read the Bible every day and I'm not doing Bible in one year, but I do pick it up. And before I go to read it, I say, God, show me something about what you're like. And I'm going to keep reading it until you show me something about what you're like. Because I don't care for knowing stuff. I care for knowing you. So show me what you're like. This, that's what I want. So I'll read it and I'll go, wow, <laughs> that's what you're like. Oh God, I love that you're like that. It's amazing that you're like that. I've never noticed that before, that you're like that. What a way to read the Bible. I'm not saying you shouldn't like plough through it. It's, you know, it's good to get an idea of where everything sits and People even sometimes say to me, you're reading the Passion Translation. But yeah, I don't care. I don't care what translation people read. It's the one that they live out is the, it's the best version, right? So I'm encouraging you, 20, 2020, it's not for us to be self-indulgent and just lie around on the floor soaking up God. That's a brilliant thing to do. But God isn't pouring out his spirit on you and wanting you to have intimate connection with him just to have intimate connection with him. As soon as you get hold of God's heart, you walk into the high street and you burst into tears because you see the brokenness in people's lives. And so God is pouring his spirit out on us so that we can bring transformation to this town. If our workplaces aren't different because we're there, then why are you there? Please not to do the wonder list of your bosses. If you think you're at your workplace to get the wonder list of your bosses done, you're missing a whole level of why you're at your workplace. Let's stand. We're going to pray and finish up late. I'm inviting and I've been trying to get round as many as I can of the kind of 16 to 25-ish age group. Some of you, many of you will have seen the email. I'm trying to get some of that group together because I want them to learn some of what I've learned way quicker than I've had to learn it. That's basically it. And I don't mean I'm going to tell them stuff. I want to lead them into encountering God. Because as that awful song goes, just one touch from the king changes everything. Sorry to whoever wrote it. It's just a terrible song. But anyway, the, the sentiment remains entirely true. <laughs> Let's pray.
Father God, we are not hungry for knowledge, but we are desperate for encounter. And we know knowledge matters, but only when it's on the bedrock of encounter. We long to know you deeper and deeper and deeper. We long to walk along the street and someone says, what are you smiling at? You say, oh, it's, it's all right. It's just Holy Spirit and I just having a little joke between us. We long to walk into situations and know that as we walk into that situation, we can just say, God, what do I do here? How do I bring life into this situation? And God says, we'll try turning up five minutes early and then your heart will be at the right rate for you to be able to hear me. And God, we want to accept that we have the mandate to bring life to this town at this point in history. No one else is at this point in history, in this town, in this way that we've been invited. Even if it were 100 years ago, even if it's 100 years time, God, you have called us to something unique right now. And we don't want to miss it in front of Netflix. We don't want to miss it by summing our life up as a list of tasks that we've managed to get done. But we want to love well. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.